You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. When beetles fight these battles in a bottle with their paddles, and the bottles in a poodle, and the poodles eating noodles, they call this a muddle puddle, treadle poodle, beetle noodle, bottle paddle battle. This man is a genius. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad to be there, too. Glad you have chosen to join us. We appreciate your time. And we always appreciate working with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, sir? Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. How's it going? <laughs> Mom and Dad in Florida. Hey, we're just here living the stereotype. Hey, do you guys have those, uh, what is it, the uh, the garters for the socks? <laughs> no, no, I haven't gotten to that's the next stage. All right, just double check. That's it, the sure. prognosis. If you, if you are a real Florida resident, there's two things that happen. Okay. You can always tell the tourists because they're wearing socks and sandals. Oh, okay. those are tourists. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the tourists are out there baking in the sun because they're from up north and they're white as sheets. <laughs> but the people who live here year round do not sunbathe because about once a week they talk about skin cancer on TV. Aha. Uh-huh. They do. And so Brilliant. people who live here aren't as tan as the visitors who come here. And that's how you can tell a tourist from a resident. Another way you can tell is that <laughs> Floridians by law are required to have a below the knee length bathrobe for standing out there when the paramedics come by to pick up your neighbor after the coronary. And then you're free to say, I mean, don't say gay, but what you can say is, you know, that Joe, I liked him. He was a good Joe. His <laughs> wife, on the other hand, eh, Oi. her you can have. Oi. I and, and if you're wearing something above the knee, then we've got some other issues to worry about. <laughs> then you're probably working in a club <laughs> right? somewhere and making good money. Ah, right. I think I'm going to be moving sometime soon. Ah, there you go. Well, just bring your... Uh, sunscreen that's all i can say you don't need much where you live (laughs) spf 50 on the way and one factoid before we move on to our guest that we are looking forward to talking to this gentleman so much talking to his various iterations his various impersonations and just to get his viewpoint on show business and his storied career and he is very much intimately involved with another storied career but we'll get to that in a moment suzanne pointed out to me the other day that sunglasses are lost so often in Seattle that it's actually per capita the place where the most sunglasses are sold Seattle I've heard mainly and it's mainly because people can't remember where they put them yeah or yeah and then we sit on them we break them because oh that's where I put them under there (laughs) that's where I put them we have a box of sunglasses by the front door so every time we leave we grab a pair of sunglasses so we have lots of sunglasses Anyhow, and we have a lot to talk about today oh, with a very do. special gentleman. Oh gosh, we are so excited to be talking to this gentleman. Jim Meskimen is an accomplished actor, improviser, and voice artist whose work has been seen and heard on television, in movies, and on stage for many years. He studied theater and art in his early life and graduated from the University of California in Santa Cruz with a bachelor's degree in fine art 
after working extensively in oil painting, drawing, and lithography while also working in the theater. Jim Meskimen grew up in a theatrical family. His sister, Ellen, is an improvisational actress and singer. His late father, Freeman, was an actor and director, and his mother is Golden Globe and Emmy-nominated actress Marion Ross of TV's Happy Days. Jim Meskimen and his wife, Tamara, live in Los Angeles and have been fixtures in the improvisation theater community in New York and Los Angeles and currently perform with the really spontaneous theater company. And we are pleased for the very first time to welcome Jim Maskeman to Manson Mitchell. Hello, Hello. Jim. Good morning. What a, what, a nice, uh, what a nice introduction that I must have written. <laughs> and very partial at that. You were sparing of our time, too. Oh. With, with a curriculum vitae like yours, we could write books. Jim, welcome to the show. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Great to be on. Great to be on. How's the weather there? It, it Today it's raining. It's uh, funny. We Our rainy season is all summer long. You're but welcome. It, it started today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Sent it over from Seattle, I would imagine. And um, yeah, it's going to be raining most of the day today. Rather lightly, unusually, a little thunder this morning. But how's the weather where you are, Jim? Well, I happen to be in San Diego, California, and it looks like it rained last night because we went outside and it was it's all wet on the patio here. And uh, so that's very needful. We're, we're, we don't get as much rain as you guys do. So we're we're happy to have it. Yeah, we get it all in the summer in big buckets. I think he's referring wow. to Seattle. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> OK, we, we broadcast we diagonally. We are triangulating. Between- oh, nice. San Diego, <laughs> the station in Seattle, and where Gary and I live, which is Sarasota, Florida. So but we archive well, via podcast anywhere you get your podcast. That's true. And we have listeners from all over the world. We've been on about uh, 15 plus years now. And wow. I can't believe we just found you, Jim. We were so excited. And I had to foreshorten your introduction because of the dozens and dozens and dozens of <laughs> movies, television, video games, stage. He has his own YouTube empire. The, the YouTube yeah. empire, everything, which we want to make sure that we refer to people for your vast, vast, vast career. I was completely blown away by everything that you've done. How about you? Are you blown away by that? I'm, that's very kind. I, I appreciate the the encomium. That's that's really sweet of you. I uh, I you know I, I'm very fortunate. I'm a lucky guy because my mother raised me to be a creative person. She always put up with my uh, my impulses to draw and paint and perform and make things, and and so I've just uh, steadily kept at it. And uh, I, I, f- I consider myself just tremendously fortunate to have had the career that I've had and, and met the kind of people that I've met, including yourselves. And you maintain an attitude of gratitude that's clear by the way you are speaking, and that definitely would stand anyone in good stead, Jim. Let me ask you a question, since this is uh, when we have a first-timer on, we like to refer to that guest not only as an honored guest, but as an opportunity for us to have a get-to-know-you interview. Let me come at it there for a soft entry into an interview, Jim Meskimen. Let me go ahead and say this to you. When I was 15... When I was 15 years old, I liked to play some what used to be called sandlot baseball. 
there. And I was, you know, only passively interested in the curriculum in uh, my sophomore year of high school. Right. And I would right. enjoy any number of TV shows. But when I was 15, it was 1969. And there was a lot going on in Vietnam, in America, in the streets of America, in the politics of America, et cetera, et cetera. And I got caught up in all of that. When now I'm trying to do my arithmetic quickly here, Jim, when you were 15, you had a very different experience because as a 15 year old, you're someone who could say, hey, look, everybody, my mom is on TV with Opie. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, So I was uh, when I was about 15, Happy Days was in full swing. And my mother, Marion Ross, who, uh, you know, as you've been alluding to, she played Marion Cunningham, Mrs. C on that. Uh, that long-running ABC hit show, and uh, yeah, it was. It was. My mom had always been a working actress when I was growing up, but she was not famous by any means. She did, you know, you'd see her on Mannix and uh, Mission, the old Mission Impossible show, and and the Brady Bunch, and all the shows that now we we recognize those names so well. But you know, she'd be a guest star on those shows, but she didn't have a steady gig until until Gary Marshall cast her as Marion Cunningham, and. Uh, being a working actor, that, that's what my life has turned out to be. I'm a working actor in shows. I'm in the, the show Gaslit, which is airing right now on Stars with Sean Penn and Julia Roberts. I'm in an upcoming episode of, of Hunters, which uh, I don't know if people in <laughs> if people in Florida follow that Nazi hunting show or not, uh, but I'm going to be in that in their new season. And a, a new uh, series coming out in October called The Big Door Prize, but getting back to mom, she was a hardworking, hustling, struggling uh, actress, uh, a single mom, raised my sister and I. By the way, my sister, I think you, you had an old reference uh, about what my sister does. She's actually now an, an award-winning, Emmy Award-winning uh, writer-producer with two small oh. children of her own at this point. But um, back then, to, uh, Ellen and I, my sister, we were being raised by a working actress, and so you know, when I look back at that, I, I, I have so much admiration for what mom did. As a kid, of course, I had no appreciation at all. <laughs> but as a, as a grown up, I'm like, oh my God, how did you do it? You know, Jim, when, um, when people are, are looking at how it is that they obtain information and what works for them in, in getting information, most people consider themselves visually oriented. I'm a little different. I, I consider myself audially oriented. If, if mm-hmm. I need directions to someplace, I know people can only do it by writing out a picture of the streets and mm-hmm. they say, okay, you're going to go left here and right there and cross this main road. And for me, I say, just tell it to me, just tell me what it is. Well, you mm-hmm. know, you're going to do this, 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 and this, and I, okay, I got it. Because for me, I like to take information in through my ears rather than my eyes. And I said to myself, with all those voices that you do, at some point, you really had to be in tune with the fact that you are very audially oriented. When did you start doing voices? I think auricular is a much more Shakespearean word. Uh, oh, I'll be take funny though, if you ask for directions, if you're the kind of person that could only figure out directions from the sound that your engine would make, well, you want to go up here to, a... and then. <laughs> 
And could you give us directions to Orc, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very visually uh, visually oriented. I find, uh, it, uh, but I also am, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, I, I'm very key, uh, keen to uh, analyze things uh, through hearing and the sound. And you know, I listen to voices. Uh, I do a lot of celebrity voices in my show and in my job. You know, I'm a voice matching artist. I I do Robert De Niro sometimes, you know, for things, and uh, that's that's you know that's part of my job. Or oh, Colin Firth, the great uh, British actor, Colin Firth, who's so pleasant. I've done his voice quite often. And Sir Ian McKellen as well. I mean, as long as we're on the Brits, we'll just run the gamut. And uh, Sam Elliott is another chap. But uh, right about now, this time in the morning in Los Angeles is a little easier for me to hit. So it, for me, it's a it's a fun study, and I've been able to to turn it into a, a career to some degree, and uh, it's it's fun. But I am I am oriented very much to listen and uh, and try to figure out uh, the musicality of voices and and the particularities that, that make up their sound. Well, there's the cadence and there's the mouth shape, and in looking at some of your YouTubes, I could see where visually you were you were taking on like the face of the person that you were um, doing an impression of. Have you ever counted or has somebody ever counted how many different voices you do? Oh, you know, it changes all the time because uh, they come and go. Uh, I'm always I'm always adding new ones on and find, discovering new ones. Uh, celebrities fall in and out of favor as well. So you, can, you don't really want to include them sometimes in an act. But um, yeah, I think it's in the, I think it's probably in the 75, 80 range, something like that. It's not not a humongous number when you think about the planet i think there are seven billion plus people most of those people i can't do okay well that's <laughs> right and, and and you bring up a great point i mean stars will come to glory they go in and out of favor it's quite true uh, jim hold on just a second just a second I'm trying to get this there's a flying around it doggone it almost had it so anyway um how was it working on fresh prince of bel-air Speaking of killing flies, uh, that's funny. Uh, so uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was actually the first TV show I uh, I was ever a part of, and so it was a great adventure. And you know, at the at the time, it was uh, it was swell to work with Will. And uh, I, I the first episode I did was really meant to be a pilot uh, for my character to spin off into another series. Uh, this professor, uh, Will Wills, that uh, when he went to college for an episode, I think he I don't know, he only went to college for one episode, but uh, I played his college professor who did impressions. It was kind of modeled after the Robin Williams character in Dead Poets Society, and oh, that was yeah. uh, mm -hmm. intended to be a pilot. So I was in it a lot, and I afterwards I thought I thought all TV shows were like that. I thought anytime you were a guest star, you dominated the show. But uh, as it turns out, that's not the way it runs. But usually when you're a guest star in a TV show, as I have been many, many times on shows like Friends and Third Rock from the Sun, you know, you've got maybe one little scene and, and you're usually setting up the joke for the stars. Uh, it's an interesting little function. I've done that for years and years. That's the kind of job that my mom used to do uh, in Happy Days until she became Marion Ross. And then they, they began to recognize that they had something really special with her. By the way, she's... Uh, She's doing really well. She's 93, going to be 94 this year. God, very happy. Her. She's retired now. She doesn't really work unless it's a 
sometimes some animated projects. She's done, even done some video games. She's SpongeBob SquarePants' grandma occasionally in, in uh, cartoons. Oh, funny. Um, and I, I record her at my house generally. I've got a sound studio and stuff. But anyway, she's doing really fine. She says hi, sends her love, and says you turned out so nicely. Well, that's uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. And she referred to us as children when we had the privilege of interviewing your wonderful mother right I here on Manson Mitchell I, and on I, another I show. I have rarely have an interview where I where no where my mother has not gone first. So yes, that's, a nice <laughs> that's a, and as a matter of fact, let me just say by way of an encomium that I thought the sculptor did a beautiful job on the statue oh, yeah. of your mother, Marion Ross, which proudly it is, uh, I take it, is adjacent to or in front of a theater named in her honor in Albert Lee, Minnesota, her hometown. That's right. That sculptor is named Chad Fisher, and he is a world-class, uh, wonderful sculptor that I've, I've become friends with. We were We were just so amazed by the job he did. He's a young man. He's in his 40s, and he's just He's uh, he's really doing it from the right place. He studied in Europe. And that statue, we saw it unveiled last July 4th in Albert Lee. And, oh, gosh, it was just such a treat. And it's, she's sitting there right now. Probably the snow is melting now, and she's not covered with snow. So uh, she's looking out over the lake where Marion was uh, a lifeguard when she was a girl. So it's really sweet. That's right. I recall we discussed we, that. Uh, yes. We went through Albert Lee a couple of times, um, traveling, yeah, traveling in, in that area from coast to coast and, um, and knew that that was her hometown. And, and so that was yeah. uh, interesting going through there. Who were your early influences, Jim? Because when I was growing up, I remember being quite entertained by Frank Gorshin and Rich Little and John Viner. I mean, what? who did you kind of admire or want to be like when you were growing up? Was, was that well, those, any those of those people? For sure. yeah. Those gentlemen, for sure. I mean, uh, of course, television was pretty hit and miss back then. You couldn't just say, I think I'll watch this show. <laughs> you had to wait. You had to wait and, uh, and be very patient. But when I would come across Rich Little, that there was a show briefly called Copycats, I remember as a kid. And I don't think I saw more than about four or five episodes because they just kind of dashed it all over the schedule. Uh, but I remember just feeling extremely charmed and, and enchanted by by seeing, you know, I always like seeing grown men uh, act like other people. And, and Peter Sellers was another person who I, I never saw him act like like Peter Sellers and uh, Jonathan Winters, Peter Ustinov. These are all people that my mom kind of brought to my attention. And uh, Danny Kay, the great Danny Kay, uh, you know, just performers that would were, would change and, and do magical things with their voices. And that, you know, that gave me hope that there, maybe there's maybe there's a way to fit into this world that is amusing and fun and magical and and can give people this this feeling of excitement. Jim, let me ask you, you know, now your your mom, who was a woman of the theater and, and television, yeah. screens large and small and has done exceptionally well. I know that there are Hollywood parents. I won't, I won't bring individuals into it now, but what I'm getting at is there are people who will go so far as to move to the heartland so as not to raise their children in and around Hollywood. They just don't, yeah. they see what goes on. It, it, they're thinking as a parent, this isn't a good choice. And so they make other arrangements. What was that like, if it was even a factor in your home growing up? Oh, well, you know, we lived 
not very close to Hollywood. So I know Hollywood is a state of mind. Hollywood is a kind of a uh, an industry. It's a lot of things. But I can certainly sympathize with parents that don't want to live in Los Angeles, especially now. It's, it's rather unpleasant. Uh, and if you're not trying to play the game of getting into TV and movies, uh, you know, I don't know that you necessarily need to be there. Uh, there's, there's bad influences, but I think you can, a person who's going to run into bad influences is going to find them anywhere they go. So in our case, you know, I walked to school. I lived in the Valley, San Fernando Valley, uh, rode my bike around. And back then in the sixties, it was a whole different scene. Uh, when we raised my daughter there, because we, we, uh, my wife and I, Tamara, who runs an acting school, a very great acting school called the Acting Center in Los Angeles. When we moved back from New York City, where we'd been doing improv and, and radio and, and all kinds of stuff, uh, we raised my daughter. But, we, you know, we sent her to a private school, but, but we stayed in, in the area. We didn't have any problem with that because uh, we knew we were artists and we were all going to have to work in this industry and go to Warner Brothers, go to Paramount and uh, CBS Radford and, and make the rounds. So I think it's all in how you, how you raise the child. And in our case, we raised another artist. She's a wonderful, uh, actress, singer, and, uh, also an audiobook narrator, my daughter, Taylor. And, um, you know, we, we couldn't keep her out of Hollywood, but, uh, <laughs> you know, she managed to weather it pretty well. In fact, she, she lives in Hollywood right now. So, um, I don't know. I think I think it's in how you it's how you raise the kid to be to have judgment, right? To have proper judgment about uh, what will what will be successful for them and, and achieve their uh, help them achieve their goals. Did you get into your work after college? Because I, I noticed you had a fine arts degree, and I was wondering if you were working in the media as a youngster, like a child actor, an Opie, if you will. Or if it was a choice that you made after college? It was a choice I made after college, actually. I'd done plays in college, but I was at that time on a track to become a fine artist, as you mentioned. So I studied painting uh, there in, in Santa Cruz. I had a, and I met a really great instructor who was a Spanish guy. He was just a visiting artist. And he invited me to come to Spain. I, I went back and forth from Spain a couple of times. And uh, it was actually in Madrid, Spain, that I decided, well, I really love painting and drawing. It's a big part of me, but the ex the excitement that I'm looking for in my life and the social aspect of what I'm looking for in a career are uh, are going to come to me from working as an actor. So I switched gears entirely, moved to New York City and and started my career there and I was about 23 at that time. You know what I really like what you just said, Jim, and I'll tell you why. I think maybe when it comes to the, the really tiny tots who are kind of thrown on screen, there's no choice in the matter. But if, if you were exposed to all of the television, movie, stage, and then went to college, it sounds like it was really a truly a choice weighing out all the various things as to what you wanted to do and why you wanted to do it it seems like there's less of a choice when you're younger because your brain isn't all fully developed. But at 23, you could say, this is what I think I want to do. This is how I'm going to go about it. And it seems like you make an adult choice rather than having something thrust upon you. And maybe that's why you have a, a good attitude about it. Maybe so. I'm still waiting for my brain to develop, but I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> 
yeah, I, 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 I didn't. I was always kind of the kid who drew, uh, and in school I drew cartoons, and I taught myself by reading Mad Magazine, and I, I really enjoyed uh, sitting around drawing. I, I would get together with friends and, and draw, so um, I, that's how I really saw myself. But then, as you say, you know, as as I got older. I had to change my evaluation for what I what I really wanted to make a career out of, and that, that's why I reached that decision. But it's been wonderful, and I've had a now these days I can draw and I can paint. I have enough time and wherewithal to to uh, create stuff for YouTube, as you mentioned. I put a lot of content on social media, TikTok. Uh, I'm at Jim Pressions for anyone who's interested, and uh, we put up at least at least uh, one or two videos a day on YouTube. And uh, I get to just flex my creative muscles all the time, which I, I think is one of the great things about this age we live in. There's all kinds of negative aspects, of course. But the great thing is I can come up with an idea for something fun or something funny, and I can shoot it, I can edit it, I can put music behind it, and I can put it on a platform that literally people all over the world can enjoy within just a couple of hours. I mean, and for nothing, you know, it costs me nothing. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's delightful. I'd like to go back to your mention of Mad Magazine. Well, now, now you've oh, yeah. got me into something. I remember I was blessed. I went to parochial school there, and we were all sitting there in our uniforms, supposedly concentrating on geography or whatever it was at the time. Right. But there was one moment in particular when, fortunately, the guy in front of me was the huskiest kid in class, big, broad shouldered guy friendly, easygoing guy behind whose broad shoulders, I could tuck away my copy of Mad Magazine because I didn't give a damn about geography and I was no good in art class. So I would read Mad Magazine. Those guys were good at art and I would read it and I can still remember the time I was reading my issue of Mad Magazine and they were satirizing a show that many people will remember called Land of the Giants. Yeah, and Land of the Giant Boars. Yes, yes. And so there's, and so I'm at the part where they're walking through a, a couple of the protagonists from the show are walking through this jungle and there are these giant spheres, these gourds, you know, and uh, the one guy says, wow, that's the biggest grape I've ever, or that's the biggest one just blew the joke. So I will shoot myself now. There, the one guy walking through, trudging through the jungle, Benny's laughing over there in the studio. He goes, wow, that's the biggest watermelon I've ever seen. And his partner goes, that was a grape. And it's, it's just the an idea of the unexpected. And Mad Magazine was great at that. Also great at satire. Recently on eBay, I pursued uh, this uh, opportunity, one of a kind at that, uh, on that day, selling a decal of Alfred E. Newman dressed up as Uncle Sam. Now, we all know the famous posters during wartime of Uncle Sam saying, I need you. But this was a decal, a Mad Magazine cover of Alfred E. Newman dressed up as Uncle Sam. And he's going, who needs you? Who <laughs> <laughs> needs you? <laughs> and I thought that's the glory of Mad Magazine was that they were able to take vaudeville they were able to take those roots coming from places like the cat skills and they turned it into humor that became the plight of every man and every woman and certainly every kid but yeah absolutely totally agree uh, i absorbed all that stuff and you know i just had the good fortune i'm an audiobook narrator it's one of my one of my jobs that i do and uh 
I just finished yesterday narrating a 22-hour book about the guy who no, nobody knows this man's name really, but he was the, the guy who was the, the brains, the aesthetic behind Mad Magazine, who started it off. Do you know who that man is? Uh, the name I recall is Don Martin. That that was a cartoonist uh, who did uh, panels in the in the magazine, but the man who really began the magazine and gave it its impetus and who really set the satirical tone for it was a man named Harvey Kurtzman. He was an artist himself and an editor, and he went on to uh, do many, many things. He came out of the comic book realm. Anyway, I, I encourage anybody to, to look up Harvey Kurtzman because he was a great genius, and I believe he changed a lot of people's lives just by, by making that, setting the tone for that brilliant, brilliant magazine. And so Don Martin then would be one of the usual gang of idiots. One of the usual gang of idiots, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I, man, you're I taking me my... back, Jim Meskin. Yeah. This is just a lot of fun talking to you today. We're going to take our one and only break of this hour. We're talking with Jim Meskin, and when you're talking to him, you're talking through him to great celebrities, both those who are with us and those who have passed on, even some presidents he is a multi-talented man and has a deep understanding of the comic underpinning of it all. And we're facing it all in this world today. We could use a laugh. Give us a couple of minutes. We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back here at the home of Alternative Talk in Seattle, AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detail in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW. 
You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Jim Meskimen. He is a, a voice artist. And uh, if you look up his, uh, his uh, information on YouTube or his website or anywhere, you will be amazed, surprised, and delighted at all of the voices and all of the things that he does. Jim, please let our, our listeners know what is, what is your website and uh, any other media information that you would like to share. Yes, but if you're driving, I, I think you should pull over because you, you could go right off the road. Uh, com is my general website, but go to YouTube and just look up Jim Impressions, Impressions with a J, and you'll find uh, just a, more things than you could ever watch. I, I've done a ton of uh, videos that uh, are just designed to be fun and delightful. Every day I do a celebrity fortune cookie where I open up a, a fortune cookie and read the fortune in a different celebrity voice. I've been doing that every day for about four years. Uh, so there's tons of stuff like that. And also some interesting deep fake uh, videos where I do an impression and then through the, the digital magic of uh, deep fake, I can, I can resemble that person very strongly. And there's all kinds of little fun experiments on there. So I, that's on YouTube, at Jim Pressions, uh, Instagram the same way. By the way, I, I should mention that I've, uh, you know, I've been a, a working actor for 35 plus years and uh, it's not stopping. It's just heating up. And I learned, I guess, from my mom so many things. And then I, when I worked in New York, I learned so many things by, by talking to other actors and by experiencing the career myself. I've started an online course because a lot of people come up to me and they say, how do you get to be an actor? How do you, you know, how do you do it? And uh, I don't teach acting. I leave that to my wife. She has a, an acting school. But I did start an online course. Uh, and you can find it at Jim workingactor.com jimworkingactor.com where i lay out all the the main things that i that i do and that i did to have a career for for over 30 years and uh it's it, it it doesn't require you know tremendous talent or genius to maintain a business which is what it is and in the course i you know i lay out all the important things that a person has to consider to keep going because anybody can get a, one job or two jobs but to build it into a, a lifelong enterprise uh, and do well and support your family and, and make enough money so that you don't have to ha have another job, uh, these are the kind of things that you have to do. So, so I invite people to check that out as well. Good. At, and Jim, you also mentioned earlier about being uh, on Gaslit on Stars with Sean yeah. Penn and Julia Roberts. You, I know you have a lot of television things coming up as well. Is that on your yeah. website? Uh, that, no, but you, you, that's on stars and, uh, you can find right. it on, you know, on your TV listings. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I, my, my episodes have not aired yet, but they will in the next few weeks. There you and, go. Uh, yeah, there you go. So I got and I also want to spell your name too, uh, for people who are looking you up. Meskimen is spelled M E S K I M E N Jim Meskimen. So yeah, you, plural, you it's plural. I'm right. More, more than one man, because more than one he's, man. I would say a man of a thousand voices, except Mel Blanc took that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. one, one thing I heard during an interview, I believe it was, it was years and years ago, of course, on the Tonight Show, and Mel Blanc was talking about how he got a start. He was asked, how did you get your start in the business? And in it the way 
of that business and really trying to get ahead on this planet, no matter who you are, Jim. And I'm referring to the fact, as reported by Mel Blanc himself, when he told the host that when he got started, there was somebody, perhaps an executive at one of the studios who decided that he didn't like Mel Blanc didn't want to invest any time, energy, or money in him. And he did everything he could to prevent Mel Blanc from advancing in the industry. And then as Mel wow. Blanc said, and then he died. There, <laughs> and so it took the death of this, uh, this boulder on Mel Blanc's path, right. the, the impediment to his progress, before he could move ahead. There's a sense of kismet about that, of destiny. And yet other people may be talented in ways that that is very personal to them that would benefit the world in the great way. I just don't understand how it is that there are people who make it their business to prevent others from offering their gifts to the world. I've never understood that. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't, I mean, you're a social person. You're, you're a nice guy. Uh, these people do exist. Obviously I don't recommend that you kill them. I think that eventually they die off on their own as this gentleman did. Uh, I, I always recommend that, you know, you take as much responsibility as possible. For instance, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people that have kind of voted me down at auditions or, uh, I don't know, not been fans or, or whatever. I, I don't really feel like anybody's been out to get me. But it, you can, your mind can go that way very easily. We can say, well, somebody must be behind the scenes because my luck is so bad. There must be something, uh, somebody who is influencing things negatively. Maybe it's something online or whatever. And you're, you can just go down this awful rabbit hole. The best way, I think, is to just take more full responsibility for the whole thing and go, you know, this career is mine. This life is mine. I'm in charge. Uh, it's up to me. You know, these kind of thoughts. And then and then with a little positivity, say, I can, I can make it no matter what. I can achieve what I want to achieve. It doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter all the impediments. It doesn't matter if there's somebody out there, you know, 24-7 on some channel talking trash about me, uh, I can still do this. And uh, I think that's more profitable. Otherwise, you get to be kind of kind of mean and kind of acting like a victim. And nobody likes that. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it comes across during yeah. a performance. If you're a, a bitter comedian, for example, it stops being funny after a while because people are, are more notice of, they're more inclined to notice the bitterness than the humor you're trying to project. Yeah, yeah. Like Lenny, you know, it makes me think of Lenny Bruce, the great Lenny Bruce. And if you listen to his old routines, uh, the, the latter part of his life, his routine was going on stage and reading the transcripts from whatever obscenity trial he was involved in and, and, and pointing out the uh, the idiocy of the, the people prosecuting him. And uh, that's not why people fell in love with Lenny Bruce. You know, <laughs> we, were, we were amazed by his characters and his sense of humor, and it was something a little more lighthearted. I have so many questions. Go ahead. One, well, let's, I, I just wanted to, to uh, since I'm sort of um, following this train of thought here, it, it fascinates me, the courage. Robin Williams himself yes. had a comment in a documentary to say that there are very, very talented stand-up comics you will never know because they couldn't handle, I mean, emotionally, they were unable to withstand the heckling. And so we lost oh, yeah. the value that they could bring to the stage. Do you have experiences or, or any track record of trying to do your job and somebody does their best to interfere with you? A little, but you know, I've not been a stand-up. I've not chosen that path. That's a very specific career. I was an improviser in a theater 
I, I when I do my one man show impressions, I do it in a theatrical setting. I don't like to have a lot of waiters and waitresses banging around serving drinks. And and I don't like the comedy club atmosphere for that reason. I don't I don't enjoy being heckled and I don't like performing for people that are exclusively drunk, you know, uh, and I, I just don't like the environment of comedy clubs personally. I respect the craft and I respect the people that do it very much. But for me, I like, I, you know, like you said, my mom was from the theater. So was my father. I, I feel comfortable in the theater. People are there for the same reason I'm there. We're there to exchange ideas and have a good time together and, and experience maybe something very funny, maybe something very aesthetic or moving somehow. Uh, but one time I was doing a uh, an act. Uh, I have a character I play who's an art historian. He's a British art historian named Nestor Jackdaws. And it's always improvised. And what I do is I have him uh, do a thing called the Virtual Museum where I get a suggestion from the audience just thrown out at random of the title of a painting or a piece of art that's never been created before. And then I, I pretend that I'm projecting it on the wall and uh, I describe it. And um, it's so much fun and audiences love it. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting exercise in improv and, and people creating an image together because that's a, a, eventually what happens. And one time I was doing it at a private home for a fundraiser of some sort. And some... <laughs> fellow that was there who was an old actor himself felt like he had to uh challenge me and uh and sort of deny everything i was doing and improve on everything i was doing and it was and it just totally pissed off everybody in the room i tried to give him money <laughs> i tried to get him to stop because it was a rather, <laughs> i mean there couldn't have been six or seven people there so he really was was destroying it uh and what do you do uh, some people feel the need like you said to kind of take everybody down a peg and go down the path they want to go down. And uh, that's the only time I've really had a, a serious bout with someone who actually kind of kind of put the brakes on the whole deal. Interesting. There's, Interesting. A, there's a story that was told by a frequent guest on our show, a man by the name of Hank Garrett. He's the sole surviving cast member from Car 54, Where Are You? He also oh played God. Columbo's boss in the Columbo series. In, former wrestler, martial artist, all kinds of stuff this gentleman has done. And Hank Garrett also did stand-up comedy. I mean, he worked in New York. He went up in the summer into the mountains in New York to earn his stripes as a, a comedian. And wow. at one point, I'm not sure where it was, but he told us the story that he got up on stage ready to do his act. And who is in the audience but Milton Berle? Oh. And Hank Garrett told us that Milton Berle, can you imagine... This shouldn't happen to you or anyone, really. <laughs> Milton Berle gets up, gets on stage. Well, Hank's oh. trying to do his act. He's just trying to begin. And he, he starts in. And then Milton Berle comes up on stage and said, step aside, kid. I'll show you how a real comic works. Ouch. Now, he says this to Hank Garrett. That is a big ouch. But guess what happened? The crowd booed Milton Berle. <laughs> they thought that was just too rude. So they gave him the business. Wow. What a night. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. I'm not likely to forget that one. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, we're trying to entertain people. We're people that get on stage and have the chutzpah to go and, and to, you know, you got to prepare an act. You've got to hone it. You've got to uh, get yourself together and get, you know, in my case, you've got to get your voice all warmed up like a musical instrument. You've got these ideas you want to spread. Your whole intention is to make an audience feel a little bit better than when they came in. And, uh, you know, that's that's something to be respected. We're all trying to work together to pull it off. And 
people that are putting on the brakes on that and, and uh, giving people a hard time. I, I think it's beautiful that in that story that the audience recognized that Milton Berle was was being, you know, a crass idiot and uh, and, and gave him what for. I think that's pretty cool. We have a, a, a guest coming on next Saturday whose book we're reading about tricksterism. And it just, it hit me like uh, like a ton of bricks. I said, Jim Meskimen is a voice trickster because you expect one thing and then you get something else. It takes you by surprise. And with tricksterism, it's all for play. It's all for fun. And I don't, I don't see where you do this in order to, you know, be mean or get revenge or anything like that. This is all to take people by surprise and make them laugh. So yeah, I, I think of you raised, as a voice trickster, raised, Jim. What do you think about that? You, well, you raise uh, an important point. You know, in the Oval Office, for example, sometimes, uh, you know, people put, uh, I, I don't mind, it's, they, they'll take a whoopee cushion and put it in the you know that's just like you said it's 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 tricky dick a uh, tricky it's nick it's nixon it's tricker dixon it's it's mrs dixon it's it's trickery and i i, I you know that's just not that's not for me <laughs> but you're able to generate rapid fire all these wonderful voices with an incredible fidelity jim i, I just marvel in fact i said to suzanne after listening to the first two youtubes of this morning over our breakfast coffee i said i did not believe that robin williams could be impersonated or an impression of him done to that degree of fidelity i didn't think somebody could do it as well as you do it quite astonishing Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I've been doing the Blue Genie character for Disney since uh, really before Robin passed. Uh, Robin had to approve my my impression, and uh, he did. And um, it, it's a, now these days, it's like sort of a, when it does come up, it's sort of an honor to be able to carry that character forward. 10,000 years can give you such a crick in the neck. <laughs> it's like I think I I think I'm listening to Robin Williams. It's yes. just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. really is amazing. Absolutely. I'm tempted to say, Jim, that I don't know how much time you spent with the late gentleman, but uh, I wonder if there is some kind of soul connection, if you will, yes. because you get him like nobody else I've ever heard even attempt to do an impression of Robin Williams. Oh, thanks. I you know, I spent pretty much no time at all with him. I uh, I, I met him once or twice uh but no I, I didn't have the good fortune uh to do that but thank you that's very kind i mean in acting this is what we do we try to become the other person and uh it can be done very rapidly but of course you know you have to practice and uh, uh i find uh, i there are characters that i uh, have generated that decent impressions of because i like them you know i, I when i watch them on tv or in movies i want to be that character i um, this is something that my mom talks about all the time. She wants to be another person, and of course, that's a that's a very big package. I mean, every every person, every living being, is a whole big package of of characteristics and qualities. And so, what we actors do is try to, you know, is try to as much as possible absorb those qualities and then present them, kind of give them back, duplicate them, and then put them out again. And uh, you know, in Robin's case, it, I did. I felt, uh, you know, when I watched him, it would be like. Oh, you know, you just want to sort of be that kind of warm, wonderful guy and then 
sound the way he sounds. And um, uh, Woody Allen's the same way. You know, when I was growing up as a child, I watched Woody Allen movies. I'd come out of the theater. You know, I'd ask my mom, "Do you mind if we stop off for, you know, a, a cream soda somewhere and a bowl of matzo ball soup?" <laughs> there uh, that's a fantastic woody allen yeah which allows me the opportunity to ask you jim do people ever criticize your use today do they criticize yours or anyone else's attempt to do an impression of a controversial figure like woody allen uh you know sometimes it's mentioned i guess uh i don't get criticized for it but uh you know this is the thing. I mean, the point is the personality can be used uh, to evoke something, to make a statement about something. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it has a lot of baggage attached to it, then maybe it'll get in the way of the, of the bit. You know, maybe it'll get in the way of the presentation you're trying to do. For a while, I didn't do Robin Williams after he passed because he didn't represent what he used to represent. And uh, the fun and the thinking outside the box and the creativity was not in the forefront of most audiences' mind. What was was the tragedy. Uh, at this point, enough time has passed that we can kind of skate over that. And uh, unless we address it directly, we, we can just remember the larger legacy. Uh, so, you know, I think, again, you, if, you, if you go with someone that you have a lot of affinity for, uh, generally there's a good reason for that. They're decent people, they're, they're, they have a good reputation, and uh, and there'll be a, a long-lasting thing. Like, uh, for instance, I like to do that uh, voice of that Tommy Lee Jones, a uh, terrific actor. And, uh, you know, he has not soured in the public eye for any reason. You know, luckily he hasn't run for office or uh, or been uh, canceled by any kind of a strange faction. So we can still enjoy it, the way he talks and the way he thinks and this kind of impatient way he has. I also do the uh, Colonel Sanders. Uh, and that's a fellow who, uh, you know, I suppose they could try to tear him down. But since he passed away in 1980, I don't think he's going to be much affected by it. Just uh, off the top of my head. Now, which which one of the current commercials <laughs> the features you? Because I see the others, I can recognize their faces. But I mean, are you one of those voices? I'm I'm a, I'm the voice when you don't see the colonel. I'm on radio, and when they just show the buckets and the hands of the colonel indicating things, and the the biscuits rolling into the thing, I I'm that colonel. So. Currently in okay. commercials, you don't. Currently in commercials, you see uh, actors uh, portraying families, you know, eating and uh, enjoying a bucket of, of the fine chicken, and uh, you'll hear a voiceover, and uh, and that is that's the, the job that I've been doing for the last six years, actually. Good for you. That's a, and that's a, a winner for KFC. I have to say. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So I, I've been making <laughs> these videos that I put up on. I just put up one yesterday. Uh, of Colonel Sanders, uh, like archival phone call recordings, you know, lost phone call recordings of Colonel Sanders talking to different celebrities. And uh, I just put up one yesterday of, of Johnny Depp calling uh, Colonel Sanders because, you know, Johnny Depp is so um, he's uh, worried about his career and uh, he's having a tough time with this case and this trial. Uh -huh. And uh, so he asked Colonel for, the Colonel for advice and Anyway, it's it's fun for me to do. I enjoy it, and I invite all your listeners to go onto my YouTube channel and check out the the uh, lost recordings of Colonel Sanders. They're a lot of fun. 
you know, it, it's a matter too of adapting what you have seen and heard others do. And I have a specific answer. You mentioned Johnny Depp. I, I admire the gentleman. I think he's a wonderful performer. I especially enjoyed him in going back a ways here in the movie Ed Wood. Yeah. I thought it was just terrific. I ran out and bought the DVD through eBay. I just wanted to yeah. possess that so I could watch it whenever I want to. In that movie, it seems to me, Jim, and we're talking about voices here a lot today, Johnny Depp seems to have borrowed from John Lovitz so that when he is portraying Ed Wood, there's a lot of, well, my next one will be better. Now, there's a, a Johnny Finagla type voice. Mm, maybe so. Yeah, Johnny Depp is great. He creates these very unique characters. He's, a, he's just an actor's actor. And uh, Martin Landau is great in that movie as well. That's it's a charming, charming movie. The, the friendship between Bela Lugosi and Ed Wood is, is, is depicted so, so lovingly. And it's a very funny movie. I, I like it a lot, too. I don't, I don't blame you for, uh, for going out and getting your own copy. It's, it's terrific. Are there any raspy voiced women that you imitate? <laughs> raspy voiced women. Well, like, I couldn't, it couldn't possibly be Edith Bunker. <laughs> but, maybe, watching, watching. <laughs> but enough about B. Arthur. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a pretty good, yeah, that's a good Gene Stapleton. I knew Gene Stapleton. <laughs> she was a friend of my mom. She, uh, they toured together in Arsenic at Old Lace. Actually, Edith was one of the, one of the voices I used to do when I was a boy. And uh, oh. there's not much call for it anymore, but it's, it's a great character. Very good. Okay. <laughs> We're getting thumbs There's up range. from Benny There's in the range. studio. Okay. Benny approved Excellent. right there. Benny approved. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I, uh, you know, I, we're running out of time here, raspy, but I just want to ask voice. you. Oh, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim. No, no, it's fine. I, I, Whoopi Goldberg has a little bit of a raspy voice, you know? Yes. She, she actually does talk this way pretty much. So anyway, but I, I don't, I don't do her in my act for obvious reasons. Well, that's right. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, that I'm sure you could perfect it. At the moment, you remind me of George Burns when you're doing it. <laughs> and that's okay, oh, okay. too. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Whatever, you know, whatever, whatever reaches you, that's the important thing. It's the uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as you know. Exactly. And with the cigar, I could, whenever you would hold it up, I could smell it through the TV. That's right. Smell a vision is a big thing. I am sorry that we have to say goodbye. I feel like we just are getting warmed up with you, Jim Meskimen, but let's do this again. What a life you are living and your bravery, your willingness to put yourself out there is extraordinary. I honor you for that. And I hope that you'll come back and pay us another visit. Oh, what a kind thing to say. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Have a great day. And uh, yeah, I'll come back and we'll talk some more. Excellent. Thank you. Wonderful having you on. And stay tuned for American Road Trip Talk at 1 o'clock today with host Gary Mance. Back on the Yellow Brick Road. That's right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Always glad to have you with us right here at AM 1150 in Seattle.